What's my pet peeve? Messy cat litter. Those furry little pads turn into cat litter super spreaders, leaving the already been used litter scattered across the floor for your bare feet to discover. The solution? World's best cat litter's new load tracking and dust control. It's quick clumping, made from corn so it doesn't stick to paws like clay, and specially formulated to stay where it belongs, in the box. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter for a happier, less littered home. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Xzone Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.xzoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome. This is A Different it's a different perspective. I am Kevin Randall. Before I am joined by my guest, Nick Redfern, got a couple of comments I wanted to make. As you remember, we talked to Mike Rogers of the Walton abduction uh, last week. By coincidence, yesterday, I saw the movie Fire in the Sky, which is the 
fictional account of the Walton abduction. And I was struck by a couple of things in it. And I actually have communicated with Mike Rogers about this. One of them was the um, conflict between Travis Walton and, and um, Alan Dallas. And I didn't remember that uh, coming up before. So I asked Mike Rogers about it because of the way it was presented in the movie. And Mike Rogers told me, it was even worse in real life. They had toned it down for the movie, and some of the things they, uh, uh, that had happened were not shown in the movie. And I was kind of surprised about that. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is there's a sequence at the end of the film in which Travis is remembering his experiences aboard the craft. Largely fiction. Most of it didn't happen. And in fact, from what Mike Rogers said, that when he mapped out the timeline of what Travis remembered of those days he was missing, it worked out to about 15 minutes of consciousness. So there's uh, some discrepancy there. But, you know, you have to think about it. This is a movie and they, they do that sort of thing. And the one thing that struck me and, and probably erroneously was that the conflict between Travis and um, Alan Dallas was reminiscent of a conflict that was aboard the Andrea Gale in a perfect storm between two of the crewmen. It just like it's a Hollywood uh, device for creating conflict. The second thing I thought I'd chat with is more on a personal na nature, and I think Nick Redford might be able to help me out with some of this. On a lark, I signed up to get a DNA test. I thought it would be a lot of fun, find out what my ethnic background is. Came back on Saturday, 50% uh, English in the Midlands area. Uh, the, um, the pottery, I think is what it was called. I think the pottery is part of the Mid Midlands area. 17%. Uh, okay, thank you, Nick. 13% um, Irish Scottish, 32% German, at least 5%. I thought, well, we'll get some nice ethnicity in there. Nope. 2% Norwegian, 3% British, or I mean, sorry, Swedish. I am the whitest person you're going to hear on the radio today, I bet. Nothing of a ethnic background. I mean, according uh, to the stories that came out after, after um, Elizabeth Warren had released her DNA results and had a smidgen of native blood, it was said the average American had more of that in them than uh, Elizabeth Warren did. Well, <laughs> turns out I'm not average, I guess. Uh, I am basically the whitest person you're going to hear from today. Anyway, with that, uh, with that said, and if Nick wants to comment on my English heritage, he's certainly welcome to do so. I am joined by Nick Redfern, who is a journalist, cryptozoologist, ufologist, and I know he said urologist uh, because the words look alike, I guess, and best-selling author of a number of books on conspiracies and unexplained mysteries, including visible ink presses, Area 51, the re Revealing the Truth of UFOs, and the recently published, and I have a book in my hand, The Alien Book, A Guide to Extraterrestrial Beings on Earth. He is a full-time author and has appeared on more than 70 radio uh, TV shows exploring the conspiracies and unexplained. He is a frequent guest on radio programs and UFO symposiums. He's a frequent guest here. And the reason I kind of chuckled there was because as I, I read that, I realized I've actually hosted over 200 radio shows when you talk about uh, a different perspective and the one I did in El Paso, Texas, uh, called The Randall Report. Nick Redfern, I've used up five minutes of our time, but welcome to A Different Perspective. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? <laughs> Not well. <laughs> uh, 
So the Potteries is part of the Midlands, which I guess is northwest of London. Yeah, the, um, the best sort of um, area to look at for the Midlands uh, that's big on a map would be the city of Birmingham. And um, Birmingham, central England, in the West Midlands. And I grew up about um, 10 miles from the city of Birmingham. So just look on Birmingham, the map, and that, that entire area is classed as the Midlands. So you, you grew up in the area then? Yes, I did. I was born and bred in uh, the Midlands, and um, and when I was about sort of nineteen, something like that, I moved down to uh, a coastal area part of England and uh, moved around quite a bit uh, after that. But yeah, uh, as um, a teenager up until my teenagers, um, yeah, I lived in the Midlands, and uh, my family's still there now. I actually apparently still have relatives there as well. I did not know that until Saturday. Anyway, I'm uh, sure that people, people, well, you were going to say. No, I was just going to say I've got family there. My father's still there and I've got cousins there. So, uh, you know, I've still got uh, slight ties to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have more ties to the UK than I thought. So there you go. Um, the Alien Book, which I have a copy of here, kindly sent to me by Visible Inc., um, what's the thrust of this book? Well, basically, um, the publisher, I've done nine or ten books with Visible Inc., and um, they contacted me out the blue, as they often do, <laughs> and said, you know, we're interested in having someone doing a kind of like encyclopedic A to Z book on aliens. And that's how a lot of their, not all of them, but a lot of VIPs' books are put together like that sort of a, a to Z um, type encyclopedias. And so they said, you know, would you be interested in doing it? And um, and I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, providing I can sort of, you know, look at not just the, the well-known cases, but the, the sort of fairly um, unknown ones as well. And, um, you know, I was more concerned that they just wanted me to splash over the net, you know, the, the, the same old ones and whatever. But um, fortunately, they said, no, just go with whatever you want. If they're obscure or well-known, it doesn't matter. We just want a book that you know, can demonstrate to people all the alleged different types of aliens that have been seen. So, uh, so in that sense, you know, it worked well. But you have a chapter about the Loch Ness Monster. Is well, Nessie an alien? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that depends on your, your own perspective. I mean, I don't... The, the book isn't sort of much written from the perspective that this is Nick Redfern's theory or this is Nick Redfern's conclusion. I've written it from the perspective, in many cases, of the witnesses and what they thought. And uh, and the fact is, one of the little-known facts um, fact is that there have been a lot of UFO sightings at Loch Ness, Um which, you know, it sounds kind of really bizarre because, you know, Loch Ness, Scotland is known mainly for the stories of the Loch Ness Monsters, not anything to do with aliens. But um, not only have there been um, UFO sightings over Loch Ness, but back in the early 1970s, one of the early um, 1960s, 70s era researchers, a guy named Ted Holliday, actually had an encounter on the shores of Loch Ness with nothing nothing less than a man in black. So, you know, you do have a few weird aspects um, about this story. And a lot of these UFO cases 
revolving around the Loch Ness Monster occurred in the 1970s. And as a, re as a result of this, the BBC's Doctor Who series actually had one particular season um, that was based on um, these UFO encounters. And they blended it into a story of, of aliens and monsters at Loch Ness. Well, I mean, Doctor Who isn't exactly a documentary, though. <laughs> no, it's not, to say the very least. Um, but it was interesting that they based that particular story. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Around the fact that there had been significant UFO sightings at Loch Ness. Um, now, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean anything at all because, I mean, just because a UFO happens to be seen where something else weird happened to be seen doesn't necessarily mean we have to make a connection. Um, I think at the very most, we can say that it's an interesting, odd little coincidence. Or if you're at the other um, end of the, you know, the scenario, you view it that, that Nessie is some sort of alien creature. But, um, you know, again, it depends on the person's, I guess, their own opinion on it, really. Well, I, it brings up a couple of questions in my mind, which we'll have to get to in just a moment. But the first and foremost is, what was your favorite Doctor Who episode? And second of all, um, there was a study just released by a bunch of... Um, biologist or zoologist or cryptozoologist or somebody who had studied the DNA makeup of Loch Ness and determined that uh, the Loch Ness monster was probably, what, a giant eel, I think it was. I think the, the I, I just read that like two or three weeks ago. So that's something that's yeah. pretty new. But we'll, we'll get yeah, back well, to that. 
we'll get back to that in just a moment because I have to take a break. Uh, we're coming up hard against a break, and I used up a lot of our time earlier on. Uh, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and I'll have some more information there about what's going on um, with uh, Nick's book and some other information that will be exciting about that. And if you get a chance, take a look at Roswell in the 21st century. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Path Home Shamanic Art School proudly presents the Gathering of Shaman 2019 Fall Retreat, Manifestation Samhain. Join me, Certified Shamanic Instructor Gwilda Wiecka, in the magnificent Colorado Mountains this November 2nd and 3rd for a life-changing event. Participate in unique teachings and ceremonies that will put the power and magic of shamanic manifestation into your hands. Sit in circle with like-minded individuals, sharing group energy and the power it generates. Classes will be held in a facility next to the beautiful, majestic Arkansas River, further empowering the experience. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today. For more information, visit findyourpathhome.com or email touchin at findyourpathhome.com. I'm joined uh, by Nick Redfern. We're talking about his 
latest, the alien book, A Guide to Extraterrestrial Beings on Earth. We were immersed in the Loch Ness Monster, I guess. And I'd mentioned the study that suggested the DNA of the lake suggested that the Loch Ness Monster was some kind of a giant eel. And I know that information wasn't available when, when you wrote the book, Nick. But what was your what's your take on that? Well, I mean, it, it's actually not a new story. I mean, you can go back uh, to a lot of the early books on, on the Loch Ness Monster, even going back to the 40s and 50s, where the, the idea of something like a giant eel uh, could have been the theory. Now, the big difference is that this is the first time that a DNA analysis of every, just about everything that lives in Loch Ness uh, has been studied. Um, the, the downside is that DNA can certainly determine, you know, something from like a, uh, like a, an eel versus an otter or something like that, which are the theories that have been put forward. But DNA doesn't give you any indication as to the size of the creature, just what it is. And, I mean, you can go to the shores of Loch Ness and sort of paddle in the waters, you know, out about three or four feet, and you'll see a lot of eels. Uh, so there's, there's nothing strange about eels being in Loch Ness. You can see them all the time. But what we don't have are, or is evidence that there are like 20-foot-long eels in Loch Ness, which would be amazing if there are. And it, and it could be the answer. Um, but right now, all we know is that there are eels in Loch Ness, which is something we've known for decades. So. Well, I, I was thinking as you were talking there that... Um a 20-foot eel, if there were 20-foot eels in Loch Ness that's responsible for the sightings, that in all the research that's been done in Loch Ness, that they would have um, come up with something like that, I mean, some definitive proof rather than a DNA analysis of the lake water. So uh, it, well, it just seems a little yeah. far-fetched. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult to sort of say anything. Uh, like I said, I mean, everybody knows if you go there, you, you see eels all the time. So that's not an issue. It's the size. Now, there certainly aren't any solid records of eels growing to the length of like 20, 30 feet. But if, you know, if that, if it was proved, I mean, I don't think most people would have a problem saying, you know, these are monsters, you know, something like a 25 foot eel charging towards you through the water. That's pretty, that's pretty monstrous. But, um, you know, it, it, it is one of these situations where, I think the the media, I won't say they overplayed it, but I, I think the media actually didn't realize that the eel theory had been around for decades and there have been books on it as well. Um, but as I said, the the important aspect is the, the fact that, you know, they're, they're looking at it now from the DNA angle and just kind of, you know, tagging just about everything that's in the lock. So you're suggesting that the news media may have taken a superficial look at this report and run with it without understanding it in depth? Golly, I mean, surely the media would never do something like that, surely. Um, I'm glad you picked up the sarcasm there. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> and before I forget, um, were you a fan of Doctor Who? No, I'm not really a big fan of science fiction. I like horror stuff, but... Um, I've never actually, I don't think I've seen a, um, a Doctor Who episode since I was probably five or six. I've never seen any of the, you know, the, the new ones or whatever. Well, just, uh, just for the record, the best, the best Doctor Whos were John Pertwee and uh, Tom Baker. Just for the record there. Oh, no, I vaguely remember both of them. I was like, um, 
don't know, five or six when I think John Pertwee was in Doctor Who. So. Yeah, they had the best-looking assistants, I think, too. So. <laughs> there you uh, go, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to be labeled as a misogynist. There we go. Right down in the <laughs> toilet here already. Um, moving right along, uh, you do some things with the Flatwoods Monster that uh, was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us a quick background of what the Flatwoods Monster case is? I've referenced it a couple of times on the program, but I've never really gone into any kind of depth about it. So, you know, a, the thumbnail sketch of it would be helpful. Well, yeah, I mean, the Flatwoods Monster is an interesting story, and it goes back to September 1952, uh, September the 12th, and the, a small town in West Virginia called Flatwoods, hence the term Flatwoods Monster. And it was in the evening, sort of late afternoon, early evening, when a strange object was seen soaring over the skies, and um, it was believed that the object had come down, kind of that kind of part of the story kind of parallels a little bit the, the Kecksburg story from uh, Pennsylvania in uh, 1965 of, um, you know, people seeing this illuminated object sort of soaring across the landscape and then uh, falling down over the horizon. And a group of boys, teenagers and, um, and a school teacher went in search of whatever this thing was. And they claim to have seen this huge, 12-foot-tall, vaguely humanoid-type creature um, with glowing red eyes, but which seemed to have almost like robotic um, aspects to it as well. And um, Frank Fraschino has written um, a really good book on this, and um, which was updated into another version as well. And what's interesting about the Flatwoods Monster is that we really haven't, ever seen anything quite like it since. As I said, he had these glowing red eyes, which are kind of similar to Mothman. And Mothman, you know, was also seen in West Virginia, which is interesting. Um, But this thing, 12 feet tall, which seemed to glide rather than walk, and it didn't seem to have legs. It was almost like, um, in a strange way, it was like 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 a cone, like an an inverted cone, like an ice cream cone, um, angled towards the ground. So um, it's very strange and giving off these sparks and and lights and and flashes and and quite understandably, you know, given that most of them were young kids, they didn't uh, stay around. They fled the area. But um, at the time... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. You know, it got, it got a lot of coverage, and um, you can find a few little uh, snippets about it in the Blue Book files at the National Archives. And um, it's all, it's, you know, one of those kind of 
here one minute, gone the next minute, and also mixed in with a bit of, you know, uh, of something that was just totally singular. You know, it was never sort of paralleled by something else, you know. Wasn't there physical evidence found on the hilltop? Well, yeah, there was. There were reports of burnings on trees and um, and strange prints and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, nothing that was actually confirmed as something that might be, um, you know, definitively extraterrestrial or anything like that. Well, the one thing that's always struck me is there was one of the guys, um, his last name was Levin, Lemon, and I forget his first name at the moment, who was always identified as a National Guardsman, as if this gives him some kind of extra credibility. Uh, he was 17 years old, and I think he hadn't even been That's to basic right. training yet, but uh, in the, in an attempt to give some credibility to the teenagers, they, they always mentioned his National Guard Association. Um, so I, I, you know, I always found that interesting. But didn't they describe the creature as having like an ace of spades type of head uh, arrangement or something like that? Yeah, it had sort of like a, a, a humanoid type head with glowing eyes, but behind it, it was almost like a like an arc behind the head that, that was fashioned in the in the um, the form of an ace of spades. So um, yeah, that was um, like a like, like again like a striking, noticeable thing that you don't really see in, in any other cases that I'm that I'm aware of at least. But you kind of tied this to um, some of the British military's attempts at uh, deception or psychological warfare during the Second World War, didn't you? Yeah, I actually got this. I mean, this this is interesting because it's not hearsay or friend of a friend stuff. It's actually um, detailed in a document, a RAND document, that you can find online as a PDF titled The Exploitation of Superstitions for Purposes of Psychological Warfare written by a woman named Jean M. Hungerford. And it talks in there about a project that the British Army supposedly had in the Second World War to create, and I'm quoting right now um, from the documents, a gigantic scarecrow about 12 feet high, able to stagger forward under its own power and emit frightful flashes and bangs. And the plan was to unleash this into some of the uh, remote Italian villages um, to try and determine how, um, if you like, psychological warfare could be used in regular warfare. Now, in many respects, even I have to admit, the idea of the British Army creating a 12-foot glowing... um, fiery robot-type scarecrow, you know, trundling through the streets of a little Italian village. That sounds even more bizarre than the, you know, the accepted story of the, of the Flatwoods Monster. But the fact is, you know, the, this is, the documentation or the, or the story behind it came from the mid-40s, and Gene Hungerford's um, article, excuse me, paper for Rand was published in 1950, and it was just two years after this that suddenly something eerily similar to what the British military was working on pops up in the RAND documents um, just two years, as I said, um, before the Flatwoods monster appeared. So in that sense, you know, you're looking at something that is either an incredible coincidence or there's more to it, you know. Well, we're going to have to take our next break here. 
So we'll get back to this. We'll talk a little bit more about this. The paper, I'm going to put a link up on my blog, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. So those of you who'd like to read the paper in its entirety, and it's not that long of a paper, you can take a look at it. Uh, a link to it there. Just click on the link, I guess. Um, also, I should all point out that uh, Encounters in the Deserts is a very nice book if you all want to take a look at it. And don't forget the X-Zone Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, and take a look at the uh, various programs aligned on the network, and I'm sure there'll be something that'll be very interesting. We will be back right after this with Nick Redfern. you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. I am here with Nick Redfern. We're talking about his book, The Alien Book, A Guide to Extraterrestrial Beings on Earth. We were talking about the Flatwoods Monster and British attempts at psychological warfare. He quoted a uh, paper that uh, we'll, we'll put up online here, I'll link it on my blog, about uh, psychological warfare. But um, the thing that bothered me about this, she is quoting a guy named, what, Maskelin? Yeah, Joseph Mas um, Maskelin, he was a very controversial character. Um, and so it's difficult to know for sure, you know, how far he exaggerated the story of the British Army using this um, bizarre <laughs> scarecrow technology. 
or, you know, was it the literal truth? Now, even if he exaggerated it, we've still got a very bizarre coincidence because even if he created the story or, you know, he exaggerated it, what he described is actually almost, you know, to, to a T, it's almost, uh, you know, like the, the Flatwoods monster. So, again, you know, you, you're dealing with something that is still a bizarre coincidence if he happened to exaggerate it in the first place. Well, I, I found stuff that suggested he was either brilliant at camouflage and did really well at that, or he was an entertainer of the troops yeah, who was forming ma magic. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he actually was a very skilled magician. That was actually his job before he got involved with British intelligence. And, um, and he did, he, he created like a lot of um, faked uh, things to sort of confuse the Nazis, like creating... Um, fake tanks, you know, which were actually blow-ups um, designed to look like real tanks and things uh, like we, this to make it look like the military had got more tanks in one area than they actually had, you know. What well, we call those um, inflatable, inflatable tanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's the whole story uh, when you bring masculine into the into the story, uh, Jasper masculine, um, you know, it, the, the whole thing is just very, very weird. Now, I do think there's still something to this. Even if he exagger exaggerated it, the fact is, you know, you've got the flashing lights, um, you know, the, the, so the bright eyes, the 12-foot um, height, um, and using them specifically in little uh, villages in Italy. And, of course, Flatwoods is a little town in West Virginia. So there are a lot of definite, you know, parallels and, and, you know, issues tend to mirror each other in this story somehow. Yeah, but it's, it could also be coincidence. And you remember there was a book, was it called the Titan, which was about a ship that uh, sailed from Liverpool and hit an iceberg and sank right. and great, great loss of life. And it mirrored quite a bit of the uh, actual events of the Titanic. Some, what was it? Uh, 20 years later, 15 years later, uh, so, I mean, here's yeah, a book I mean, that kind of predicted the sinking of the Titanic uh, years before it happened. Yeah, and I think, you know, even if it turns out one day that we learn that, you know, it really was a big coincidence. Well, for me, that is just as fascinating. You know, it's kind of one of these too-good-to-be-true coincidences that actually turns out to be true. You know, I'd be, I'd be quite satisfied if that, you know, is the, re is the result of it all. Well, what's your opinion? Uh, Flatwoods uh, extraterrestrial encounter or some kind of terrestrial misunderstanding? Well, I, I, without sounding like someone who's sort of, um, you know, sitting on the fence, which I'm honestly not, I, I genuinely don't know because I think the, the people who are out there, there's no doubt in my mind they saw something that fitted the description of what they said it looked like. And, of course... You know, this was a decade and a half uh, or thereabouts um, before Mothman surfaced. And, you know, there are some parallels with the Mothman issue as well. Um, but in saying that, um, I still cannot get away from the fact that even if Maskeline had, had um, exaggerated or there was more to it or less to it, there's still that fact that there are so many issues that pop up in the UFO angle versus the British Army angle. So right now, you know, I'm willing to sort of go either way with the story because 
I, I don't think there's enough data to say definitively it's this or it's that. Um, but, but I mean, the interesting thing is the the document that Gene Hungerford put together for Rand. Um, it wasn't just sent um, to the Air Force. It wasn't just put together for the Air Force as a like a you know a complete body, so to speak. The documents, the RAND documents, was actually prepared for um, U.S. Air Force psychological warfare experts. That was it. Was that specific um, department, if you like, or that particular arm of the Air Force that handled psychological warfare and, and stuff like that? So, you know, just the fact that we know that at times the UFO subject has been used, you know, under psychological warfare and disinformation, again, that makes me wonder, you know, is there a connection there as well? The very fact that this bizarre story about masculine and this scarecrow and with the glowing eyes, that story reached U.S. Air Force psychological warfare experts. I think the the one thing we need to point out here is there's nothing wrong with being on straddling the fence if you don't really know an answer and you don't have the data to uh, yeah, make a good prediction. Yeah, I, I, of it. I, I, and yeah. and the sec, second uh, thing is, the yeah, and the second thing is you've mentioned the Mothman a couple of times. Is mm-hmm. give us a background to the Mothman. What was the Mothman? Well, the Mothman for people who don't know, and I'm sure nearly all of you, your listeners, know of Mothman. But I mean, the first thing I always think when people mention Mothman, you know, it sounds like some sort of cheesy superhero in like a comic book or something, you know. But it actually was not described like that. It was more of sort of a shadowy, wraith kind of creature with these bat-like wings and these uh, illuminated, red, fiery eyes. And the sightings began in the latter part of 1966 um, through the end of uh, 1967 uh, in the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Now, in the same way that, you know, you've got this very odd crossover between Loch Ness and UFOs, as we mentioned earlier, well, in Point Pleasant, you know, people initially were seeing this creature and we're assuming that it was just some sort of giant bird or some sort of strange flying creature. And initially, you know, it wasn't tied um, for the first few weeks. It wasn't tied to the UFO subject at all. But what happened was that as the days and weeks went on, at the same time, and in some cases in the same places where the Mothman was seen, people were also having alien encounters. And it wasn't too far away, um, as the crow flies, um, from where you have the, um, the very controversial Indrid Cold story, uh, like a, a very sinister and weird contactee um, encounter involving a guy named uh, Woody Derenberger. And you also had around Point Pleasant, particularly in 67, was a wave of claimed encounters with the men in black, people who'd seen the Mothman were being visited and threatened and silenced by the men in black. And typically they weren't sort of government people. They were the sort of classic, pale, skinny, weird-looking men in black that um, really kind of came to the fore in the the 60s and the 70s. So again, you've got this kind of crossover between a bizarre creature that may have been alien seen in and around a town 
that had a, a huge wave of UFO activity and um, encounters with the men in black. Well, the Mothman, though, uh, sightings, it wasn't just like a single sighting. There were a number of reports, not only of the UFOs, but of the Mothman as well. Unlike Flatwoods, where you have basically the yeah. one group there seeing uh, seeing the creature. And then another story that came out a couple of days later about somebody else involved in But But in Mothman, you've got many, many witnesses. Oh, yeah, there were do dozens and dozens of them. And um, even the local police... Um, you know, they, they opened files and, you know, um, interviewed people and um, and it became um, sort of a major uh, state of activity in town. Now, it all sort of culminated in December 1967 when the town Silver Bridge um, crashed into the uh, Ohio River. Now, what you have, you've got the, the Ohio River, which is this huge, wide river, and on the one side, you've got West Virginia. On the other side, you've got, the, um, you've got Ohio. And what happened was that one night, just a few days before Christmas, as people were going home from work, it was just after 5 o'clock, and the bridge collapsed into the river, um, killing dozens of people. And... Um, a lot of people around town at that time actually thought there was a connection between the presence of Mothman and the collapse of the bridge, as if, you know, the creature was some sort of Grim Reaper-type character. And, um, and, and the story's an interesting one because um, the encounters predominantly came to a grinding halt not long after the, uh, the bridge collapsed. Now, of course, there's... Um, a down-to-earth explanation that um, it was basically fatigue in the bridge itself which caused the, the collapse to occur. So, you know, it's one of these stories that's become legendary, um, and particularly so, you know, with the potential connection, if you like, with the bridge. Well, I'm going to have to interrupt you one more time because we're going to have to take our last break here. I'm sitting here with Nick Redfern. We're talking about his book, The Alien Book, A Guide to Extraterrestrials, uh, Beings on Earth. Um, my book's Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, which deals with the Socorro sighting. The blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And as I say, I'll have more information on the blog uh, up in the next couple of days, and including a link to that uh, paper. We will be back right after this, so stick around. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. 
Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. Ah! 
as I have said repeatedly, I am here with Nick Redfern, author of many, many books on UFOs. In fact, I think he's attempting to take the record away from Brad Steiger and me as being the most prolific author on UFO books. And he's got a good run at it because he's a lot younger than I am, and he's got a lot more UFO books than I had at his age. So he, he may win the title eventually. And congratulations on that, but it's premature, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I can actually reach Brad. I mean, Brad, I think... When his final book was like something like he's 178 or something like but, that. But they weren't all UFO books is the point. It's UFO well, books true. specifically. So there you go. Um, we've kind of talked around uh, all of this. And I noticed in the book you talked about crypto terrestrials. And I think that's mm -hmm. McTony's idea of what, what is visiting us. You know, tell us a little bit about the crypto terrestrials. Yeah, well... Um... Mac's theory wasn't anything new as such, but he did sort of expand it to, you know, for a new generation. He kind of kick-started it for like the 21st century. His book, The Cryptos Terrestrials, came out in, I think it was 2010. And um, basically, he, he, his theory was because, you know, with things like alien abductions, where people talk about DNA, cells, egg sperm being taken and things like this, Mac had sort of deep, um, shall we say, he wasn't, um, he wasn't uh, someone who was a non-believer when, when it came to alien abductions, but he was someone who felt that it was almost too good to be true that, you know, our cells, DNA, etc., was compatible with them. And he also felt, you know, the very fact that most aliens are seen not wearing spacesuits or something like that. He felt that that was too coincidental that, you know, they could sort of operate in our world totally comfortably and that our DNA was compatible with them in terms of the abduction stories and so on. Well, that's a, that's, a point that that's a point that has not been, been raised enough, and I, I, I've come across it a couple of times and mentioned it, that you've got these alien creatures coming down, and we now presume that they are able to match their DNA with ours if they, in fact, have DNA. So, well, that's right, yeah. And he also touched on, well, not touched on, but he dug quite deeply into how some cases he felt were specifically, specific, excuse me, start again, specifically <laughs> staged to, if you like, um, encourage the ET meme. And by that, I mean, he said that he felt a lot of these stories in the 50s of, like, aliens being seen at the side of the road, taking soil samples and plant samples. He felt the fact that so many of those kind of cases occurred, that it wasn't random. He felt that people were being sort of placed into those situations to satisfy the ET believers that, yes, it's aliens. So, you know, he had a lot of interesting ideas, uh, but he, what his theory came down to was the idea that before us um, there may have been one or more um, civilization that existed before ours and that possibly they, um, you know, degraded, died off, or possibly, you know, there were pockets of them that still existed, and that to manoeuvre among us and to prevent us from knowing what they actually are, they, in a subtle or less than subtle way, try and promote the idea that they are aliens. 
um, rather than something that's coexisting with us on the planet. Now, you know, it sounds admittedly like a cool sort of sci-fi movie uh, mixed in with a bit of kind of Richard Shaver, you know, and the Hollow Earth thing. Um, but, you know, Mac did sort of, you know, bring it up to, like I said, a, a modern-day version, if you like, of um, the idea that, yes, UFOs are real, yes, the creatures are real, but they're from here, not from there. But you're you're suggesting something that uh, is hidden on our planet that we can come in communication with, as opposed to, I guess, the interdimensional creatures that other people talk about that sort of live in the same um, plane that we do, but they vibrate at a different frequency or something like that, so we are unable to perceive them. So he's suggesting something much more physical. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was sort of, you know, he was talking about sort of, you know, the feasibilities of, you know, underground facilities and things like that. And, and I should stress that he said he didn't feel, you know, that there were millions of them, you know, uh, maneuvering among us and possibly not even hundreds of thousands. He felt they were on an evolutionary decline. Maybe there's only sort of 10 or 20,000 of them left. And he felt that a lot of the, what he felt one of the other reasons why they were staging UFO events was to make them look far grander and far more technologically advanced um, than they might actually be. Um, he even wondered on the possibility that if some um, of their craft might not be sort of, you know, interplanetary or, you know, uh, interdimensional vehicles, he felt they could be sort of robust balloons even, you know, that they were flying around in, which sounds really odd. But he actually, you know, he made a, an intriguing case for the idea that, you know, they're on an evolutionary wane and they don't particularly like us. They don't want to get involved with us because of our sort of warlike ways. And they do their best to prevent us from knowing what they really are. And they do so by subterfuge and, and, and as I said, staging things and, um, and making it look like something that they want it to look like when it's actually something else. You say they're on evolutionary decline. Are they Homo sapiens, uh, precursors of Homo sapiens? Uh, can, do they look like us, or would they look more like a Neanderthal, for example? Yeah, that's a good point, because he said that the, there was one point in his life um, when he felt all the contactee stories were just garbage, but um, he, over time he came to believe that you know some of these long-haired space brothers may actually... That made literally how they looked and that they were, you know, early humans similar to us, but perhaps with a few slight differences. And um, and he also sort of pondered on the idea of these weirder looking men in black, you know, um, actually being a part of this ancient race, if you like. And he also sort of speculated that the MIB may be their reason for threatening people was to prevent them from learning too much of the, you know, the origins of, of who they actually were. So, um, you know, his, his book was a good one. It's not a big book because he, uh, he died before it could be completely finished. But, I mean, there was enough material to put together his book. Um, and, you know, as I said, it wasn't a new theory, but he definitely gave it a kickstart, you know, with new concepts and ideas 
um, mirroring today's technology and things like that. Well, I had noticed that it seemed that the um, descriptions of the alien creatures, we're going to have to do this quickly, uh, sort of evolved because when you looked at the stuff in the 40s and the 50s, you did get the creatures, when anybody reported them, wearing kind of space suits. There were a number of stories like that. And eventually it evolved to the idea where they were at home in our atmosphere and they didn't need the cumbersome uh, breathing apparatus and that sort of thing. Did he address that at all or have you addressed that at all? Um I have in, in some cases in the book where I talk about, you know, you've got aliens where sometimes, you know, they are reported very occasionally sort of like fishbowl helmets, you know, like something out of a, a better low-budget 1950s sci-fi movie. But, um, but Matt did sort of cover that kind of angle quite a bit, you know, the idea of the clothing and the helmets and sometimes the lack of them. And, um, and he felt... You know, his, his main point was that he felt they were too comfortable living in our world and there seemed to be too much going on that was like a, a stage play for the benefit of the witnesses. And, and his conclusion was that was being done to try and get across the, to the best of their ability to say, hey, we're aliens, we're from up there, and doing everything they could to actually prevent us from finding out that they're from down here. Well, we're going to have to stop it there, I'm afraid, even though I've got a long list of questions to, to ask and talk to you about. But uh, these things happen when we talk about aliens and all of that sort of thing. Uh, your book is The Alien Book, A Guide to Extraterrestrial Beings on Earth. And uh, you've got a couple of others out there, don't you? Well, yeah, just coincidentally, um, another company put out one of my books, and it's called Flying Saucers from the Kremlin. And I'll get a copy of this sent to you, because it's basically, it's not about Russian UFO sightings. It's about how, in the Cold War, the, the Russians used, um, like, disinformation, psychological warfare, as a means to try and manipulate and create hysteria in the U.S. And... Um, so there's a lot about how the FBI were watching um, this, the space, excuse me, watching the contactees and their claims of how some of the Space Brothers were allegedly communists, which sounds really weird, you know. Um, but I'll send you a copy of the book because I've got quite a bit in the book about um, how certain arms of um, U.S. intelligence pondered on the idea that the MJ-12 documents were the creations of the KGB. Well, I'll look forward that to that in the mail. Easy for me to say, I suppose. Uh, thank you very much, Nick. Appreciate your time here. All right. Uh, Thanks a lot, Kevin. I will put uh, more information up on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And uh, as I say, you know, I am surprised, appalled, I guess, that uh, more people aren't looking at Roswell in the 21st century because I think it gives you a really good feel for what the, happened at Roswell and an idea of what was going on at that time. Uh, next week, I'm going to be joined by Paul Davids, who is the um, executive producer of the Showtime original movie Roswell and a lot of other stuff, and we'll be talking about what he's, uh, how he's involved in UFOs and how he got uh, uh, started with his research and what he has found during his time. And I will be back, as I say, with him next week uh, on the Exxon Broadcast Network and a different perspective. So um, put, a, put a note on your calendar and um, search us out. Thank you for listening. <laughs>